Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I am absolutely thrilled and delighted to be having a catch-up with Mr. Doug McLeod. Doug, are you well? Um, yes, I am, Kevin. Thank you. And, and uh, how are you? Are you well? I'm I'm bearing up for an old man. I'm getting very close to 58 now, and I didn't think I'd get this far. Well, I'm glad you did get this far. <laughs> I'm a little bit further down, down the road than you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one thing I must just say is you inspired me to get a white waistcoat because I saw you performing at the music room at the Liverpool Philharmonic. Oh, it's going to be about five years ago now. And you just look so cool in that waistcoat. I said, I've got to get one of those. And it's taken me a while, but I've got one. Oh, I'm glad you did. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of easy to travel with because all you need is a shirt and a slack and you put that little vest on that that's what we call a vest you know right and you put that on and all of a sudden you look dressed up and well you don't have all the weight of a sport sport coat on you must i don't know whether i'll be able to carry it off like you do but i'll try my best <laughs> <laughs> well it's all in the waistcoat <laughs> Um, now, one quote that I've got here is, like all great bluesmen, McLeod lives his music. Would you say that is true? <laughs> Absolutely. That goes back to, uh, that goes back to the 1967, maybe, maybe 66, uh, with a guy that I met, old country blues man named Ernest Banks, and he gave me this advice. He said, never write or sing about what you don't know about. So... Yeah. yeah, all the the songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to change things. There's a guy that said this song I did called "A Serious Doing Woman," and uh, he said, uh, is, "Is this is this a true love story?" I said, "Well, it's true except for one rhyme I had to make. Uh, I couldn't rhyme fork with any other town that I was going to go to, so I had to make it New York, and that that ain't true. You know, it, I think we were going to Norfolk, right. <laughs> Atlanta, but." Norfolk doesn't rhyme with fork, you know, so it had to be New York. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, that's so, where you came but, from, isn't it? You were born in New York. Yeah, I was born in New York. I was born in New York City, and then, ironically enough, when I was three weeks old, we moved back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where oh. I have no idea why that happened, but my father did not want me born in uh, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted me born in New York for some reason. And uh, another quote is that at the heart of a Doug McLeod performance is his knack for storytelling. And you you do relate to the audience, don't you? You don't just sit there and play music. You do interact with the audience. No. Yeah, I do. I think that comes from two different places. One, being around the older blues guys when I was a young guy. And I saw them do that. And I heard them do that. And some of the the folk kind of musicians I met when I was a young guy. Not folk musically, you think like old um, uh, Tom Tom Paxson or something, but these guys that were deep in the country that played this mix of, um, I don't know, blues and country kind of, it, it was, these guys always told, told stories. And I realized that uh, what they were doing was bringing the audience to the music because the people that are listening to you, most of them are not musicians. 
So when you tell a story, when you tell them what the song is about, then they have a chance to go like, oh, okay, I'll follow that. Or maybe they'll say, I don't want to do that. I'll think of something else. But at least they got the choice. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, you touched on something there that uh, we've had discussions about this with various people over the years. Some people will say that if blues isn't played in a certain style, it's not blues. But blues is so all-encompassing. You mentioned country there. There's country blues, there's Delta blues, there's Chicago blues. And you try Mm -hmm. to embrace all that, haven't you? Yeah, and in fact, I even put some some jazz things in. You know, when I play, I play octaves. Uh, like what Les Montgomery did, and and I had a guy. This is a true. This is a true, true story. I think it was in. I think it was in Belgium, and this guy after concert. This is years ago, and this guy after concert comes up. We were talking, and he he said to me that um, he he didn't like the idea that I was playing octaves, and I would play what I call George Benson octaves, where there's like a I forget it's a fifth or a fourth that's between the octaves, and. Uh, I said, why? He said, well, that's not the way the old guys played it. And I said, I said, are you going to tell me that if Robert Johnson had the opportunity to hear Wes Montgomery, he would say, oh, I can't do that because that ain't country blues. <laughs> yeah. It ain't going to happen. He hears that. He's going to say, yeah, how do you do that? I want to do that too. Yeah. So I think, I think music, I think what you have to be is true to the roots of it. And then if you can add your part to it that does not affect the natural state of the music, where it was born from, you're just adding on a little embellishment. Like if you're cooking something and you're adding a little spice on it, a little different spice, your gumbo is a little bit different than this guy's gumbo, but it's still a gumbo. Yeah. You understand what I mean? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. But talking about the adding those little touches, when you're writing a song, do you have to step back sometimes in case you overproduce it type of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, when I, uh, when I do like a workshop, a songwriting workshop, I always tell uh, the students, I say, don't edit till you're done. I know that sounds dumb, but when you think about it, it's not. Don't edit till you're done. Let it all come down. Let it all come down. Cause you might get two or two, two or three songs when you sit. You don't know. You just got to let it all right down. Then what you do is you hone it down, and you get you get to the message, and that that brings to mind this new album that I did with Jim Jim Gaines producing. Jim is very much like that. Jim would listen to a song and say, "Ah, we don't need that. Let's cut that in half and let's put let's do this." And what he did was he streamlined the song, and um, I, I've done that with my writing. Stream, streamlining it where you are you want to get the point across in as less time as possible mm. it's just like poetry you know like you know like the great poets they talk about they, those guys you know short but they said a whole bunch of stuff in there yeah. like B.B. King playing don't, don't have to play a lot of notes just play the right ones well Steve Cropper once said one note of B.B. King can say so much well it's true yeah. it's really true it's really true. I mean, uh, I guess that goes to the honesty of it, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you're being honest and all you feel is one note, but you say it, and you say it with conviction, people are going to know that, aren't they? Yeah. Well, you mentioned your tutorials there, your little classes and things. 
are they purely guitar or do you touch on bass as well? Because you started out as a bass player, didn't you? Yeah, well, um, it's mainly it's mainly guitar, but there are times when I do a workshop that um, I'll have drummers there, piano players there, singers there, because I not only just talk about how to play a guitar piece, it's more like how to think about the music. I have things that I tell, tell people, I say, when in doubt, you know, like when you're playing a solo, when in doubt, leave it out mm. and taste in space. Um, this is like when you listen to Albert King, B.B. King, and then jazz, Miles Davis, you listen to these guys, there's a lot of space in there, right? A yeah. lot of space. And it was Miles Davis that once said, space is music too. But going back to the bass guitar, what was it that turned you from being a bass guitarist to an acoustic guitarist? <laughs> Women. I couldn't get <laughs> 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 I was playing bass, man. I was playing bass, Kev. I was playing bass. We did this. Now, this is a true story, man. Uh, we were backing up Chuck Berry, believe it or not, mm -hmm. in St. Louis. And it was like a teen hop, right? And uh, it, it, we had this band that uh, is called Eddie Lewis and the Starfires. And it was, you know, like a teen band. And mm -hmm. so we got done doing the show, and we're all in the back. And, and the girls came back there, right? Mm -hmm. And back in those days, we dressed slick. It was like, you know, the shark skin suits, the skinny ties, the, the beetle-type boots and all this kind of stuff. So we look good, the pop hairstyles and all this. So this girl comes up to me and says, are you in the band? I said, yeah. She said, well, what would you do? I said, I'm the bass player. She says, oh. And then she walks down to the guitar player, which at that time was the third ugliest guy on the planet. <laughs> and there were five... There were five or six women around him, girls flopping around him. So I turned over the saxophone player, Eugene Gray. I said, I said, Gene, I said, that's it. I'm giving up bass. He said, why? I said, look, if that fool can get five women, I can at least get one if I start to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I became a guitar player. Man. Right. <laughs> There's a lesson to us all there. Um <laughs> Now, you've played with some big, big names, Big Joe Turner, Pee Wee Creighton, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. Um, before we go any further, one thing I have to ask, because you played with this man, how do you pronounce Mr. Folson's first name? Is it Lowell or Lowell? Lowell. Lowell, right. I've asked many people over the years, and I've never had a definitive answer. Yeah, Lowell. Lowell, Lowell Folson. Right. Right, I know for future, because every time I play a song by him, I urge people to please tell me how you pronounce this, and like I say, I've had various <laughs> pronunciations of it. Um, but of all those people that you played with, yeah, which one stands out the most? I know uh, you were saying earlier on about Ernest Banks being a big influence yeah. on you. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, Big Joe Turner, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent, Big Mama Thornton. I mean, these are oh, big, yeah. big names. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Pee Wee and George, George Harmonica Smith. I mean, these these were huge musicians. They were giants. And for me to play with them, for me to pick one of those guys or ladies, because Mama was something else, mm -hmm. um, uh, it really wouldn't be fair. But to say different things what I learned from them for instance um, uh, 
Pee Wee Creighton would always say to me, take your time. It was, it was his way of saying, uh, you don't have to play a lot of notes, just play the right ones. George Smith, when I was around George, uh, I learned about entertainment. Uh, Big Joe Turner, when I worked with Joe, Joe was on the end of his life, and uh, he, he could barely move. But when he got up on the stage, it was, it was just incredible. It, it, just the power that came out of that man. Eddie Cleanhead Benson playing behind him, hearing him play a solo, reminded me of Louis, Louis Jordan. That every every solo the man played was uh, melodic. Every darn one. It was like a brand new tune every time he took a chorus. It's like mm-hmm. what you were saying earlier about you don't have to play a load of notes to get the story across. Right. No. No, you don't. No, you just have to play the right ones. Yeah. And then there, there are guys that will say, that, you know, they will say, well, um, well, some guys play a lot of notes. Well, I said, yes, they do. But when you look at, when you listen to the good ones, for instance, John Coltrane, mm-hmm. he played a lot of notes. But the difference was John Coltrane had to breathe. He had to put breath into his instrument to make it happen. Guitar players, piano players, they don't have to do that. All they got to do is sit down and play. They can breathe any way they want, mm-hmm. can't they? Yeah. But a saxophone player, trombone player, trumpet player, harmonica player, they have to breathe. So they have a phrasing. So I think what's real important, I think that I learned, especially with George, George Harmonica Smith, uh, my goodness, that man could swing. Mm-hmm. Well, if he just, if he was a guy that could play one note, Kev, one note, all he needed, and he owned the crowd after one note. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Talking about your songwriting, you've you've been writing for years now, and your songs have been covered by many, many people: Albert King, Albert Collins, Joe Louis Walker, Eva Cassidy. I mean, this mm-hmm. must make you so proud. It does. It really does, especially when you think that, you know, I never really wrote it for them. They never called me and said, "Would you write a song for me?" They heard it on the radio or something and said, "I'd like to do this song." And, have you uh, ever done that, though? You know, have you ever written to order? No, I haven't. I really haven't, because I go back to that old thing that Ernest Banks told me about. I, I've, I've written with people. Wait, well, that's not true, because I, I've written a couple of songs, co-writes, with different writers. Um, in fact, um, I don't know if that one got picked up or not, but I've, a couple of, we have, I've actually sat down uh, with a couple of writers since I moved to Memphis that uh, we sat down and, uh, but they weren't from here. They were from somewhere else. But in the last three three years or so that we talk about, they called me and said, let's try and write something. And then I remember we did this song about New Orleans and, and uh, what the guy had in mind wasn't what that wasn't true to what that city was. So I said, no, this is a place here. This is a place here. And he said, oh, okay, I'll make that work. So did that make any sense? I guess I get done saying that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it make any sense or not. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you've also, you've also done a bit of broadcasting, haven't you? You did a radio show for, um, well, about five years, was it? Six years. Six years, yeah. Yeah, five or six years, yeah. Let me think now. That that was nothing but the blues in Los Angeles. That was five hours on the Saturday and five hours on the Sunday. Wow. That's a long stint. My show's yeah. only two hours and yeah, five hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five hours uh Saturday and Sunday. 
All yeah. right. Would you and, go back to that? And then went, uh, maybe, maybe, I, but my hands are still good. I still like playing. I still like being around people. Um, uh, but if the opportunity came up, I would definitely, definitely think about it. Because I really enjoyed it. I, I, I loved being able to be in touch with the people. And they would call and ask for songs and just, uh, it was nice. It was, it, it was a lot of fun. It was mm. an awful lot of fun. And you've got a new album coming out very soon, haven't you? Yes, a new album coming out April the 8th uh, called A Soul to Claim. Uh, this one produced by Jim Gaines. Um, and I'm sure, you know, your listeners and folks know who uh, Jim is. Um, the work he did with Steve Ray Vaughan, Santana, Huey Lewis, and the News, and so on. Tell you something, Kev, when my manager, Mickey, told me she, that she was setting up for me to do this album with Jim, I said, that Jim Gaines? I said, he, he, he was a acoustic guy like me? She said, mm-hmm, give him a call. I gave him a call, and he is salt of the earth, one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to talk to. Uh, we got along right away. And then... Um, I went to his studio. It's about two hours east of Memphis, Tennessee. I go out there to meet him, and we start to do, I played some songs for him, and he said, yeah, I like this, I like this. So what the album has become is about seven solo songs and five with Memphis musicians, um, Stephen Potts on drums, Dave Smith on bass, and Rick Steffel on the piano. And it's got, it's, it's my music, but it's got a Memphis feel to it on the ones where the guys join me. Um, because when I moved here to Memphis three and a half years ago or something like that, uh, I felt the music change. I could feel something here. Mm. So this album is is a, 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 ref, a reflection of that, I would call it. Well, I've said on many an occasion, just walking down Beale Street has a magical feel about it. So living in that city, that must have influenced you in some way. I think it did. I mean, the times I've been coming here for the Blues Music Awards and so on, um, I could feel it. And then when we moved here, uh, we live right near the Mississippi. I walk to the Mississippi, and I would walk along that river, and I could feel things. And I, I, it, it, I have a saying, if you're born here, the river talk to you and you hear it. If you're not born here, you got to listen. Mm. And when it talks talks to you, answer it. it there, there's a feeling. It's just a feeling. And, of course, the history of all the music that happened here in this town, you know, whew, yeah, hard not to be influenced by Memphis, Tennessee. So the songs for this album, was this going to be yeah. recorded before the pandemic hit, or is this since the pandemic? It was. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been sitting in the can for about a year and a half. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we look forward to hearing that one. And is it true that you've got into writing now? Is it you've written a, a murder mystery? Is it? <laughs> yeah, you boy, are you on the ball? That just came out just a couple <laughs> of days ago. Somebody, holy smokes, Kev! I'm sure glad you're not checking my taxes. Man, is, yeah, is it a murder yeah. mystery, or is that just the title, Murder at the Crossroads? A no, mystery? no, it's a murder. No, it's a murder mystery. And what uh, what we did was uh, my co-author was Deborah Schiff, and Deborah had this idea of a plot of a story that was built on history about a murder in Mississippi, 
a lynching sort of in Mississippi. And she wanted to work this thing around, but she needed uh, actual um, stories about musicians and so on. And years ago, I did a column for Blues uh, Review Magazine where I would tell stories of the different musicians I was with. So she called me and she said, would you consider writing with me? I have this plot and if can you put co-write with me, maybe put some of your stories in there and see if it works. And I said, well, I'll give it a try. This is during COVID, right? Everything mm-hmm. stopped. And um, I said, okay. So she sent the stuff to me and then... Um, I looked at it and I said, well, maybe I can. So it turned out that we wrote a book together. And um, I, I read, I'm going to tell you this. Um, I'm a big mystery fan. I'm a big Nero Wolf fan. I love Nero Wolf. And uh, uh-huh. the ending that she put on this book, you know, fooled me. I, it was good. It was <laughs> really good. So I'm kind of proud to be part of it. Yeah. What about maybe putting that to music, doing a musical or concept album? I don't know. That's quite an idea. That's something to think about because uh, I expect we'll be doing another record. So um, well, there that's you something go. to think about. I'll, I'll give you that one for seat. free. I'll I'll give you that one. Um, oh, you you are one of nature's noblemen. You know that. <laughs> 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 finally, we've got to touch upon the fact that uh, you're nominated for a Blues Award this year again. Yeah, yeah. again. Uh, I mean, you've already. I know. You've already won six. Yes, I have. Uh-huh. And, uh, again, uh, to me, I just, you know, um, I know this sounds like a cliche, but it's not. It's come from, from my heart. When you get a nomination for that, that's really something. Because uh, if you, even if you don't get the award that, that year, right, I think there's five people that are nominated. So you look at it. You didn't get the award. The other four people that you're you're hanging with are pretty darn good. Mm. So it's you know you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, oh, definitely. Like, yeah. I mean, I saw you last at the Blues Awards in 2019. I saw you in the foyer and mm-hmm. just sort of said hello as I passed. And right, I was just surrounded by people that I've been playing their music for years, and here they are all in one room. It's just an amazing thing to be at. I know it's it's really a special thing, and I'm so glad that they got it coming back this this year. You know, uh, there's there was a big emptiness, Kev, big mm. emptiness with uh, with COVID all across the world, all across the world it was. Yeah. Um, and now we got a chance to get back uh, together to see each other. It's it's really a, a really good thing. So. One question that I've got to ask you, because I mentioned this the other week when I mentioned the nominations. How do you find out? Do they phone you up? Do you get an email? Or someone pops around and does and Doug, you've got another one? <laughs> <laughs> no, they just they, they, they send you an email that says that you've been nominated. Congratulations. Right. So when you open that email, that must be, a, well... I can, words can't describe how that must feel. It's a great feeling. Honest to goodness, it's a great, great feeling because uh, somehow um, people that know the music think that what you're doing um, is good. Mm. And, they, you know, you know, uh, that's a real simple way of saying it. But yeah. I, I hope you know what I mean by that. Oh, it definitely. That, I think being acknowledged, you know, for the work you're doing, which is a great thing. It makes you feel good. 
<laughs> you mentioned the the hole in the world that had been caused by the pandemic. That hole is now closing mm. up again, and people are getting out and doing what they used to do. And you're going to be touring again, aren't you? Yeah, I am, and I'm coming back over to the United Kingdom. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and this time, I feel really good. You know why? Go on. I'll tell you why. Because I got a driver this time. <laughs> so I don't have to drive on your side of the road. Now, <laughs> not only is that really good, not only is that really good for me, but I want to tell you something. On the last tour I did, Kev, well, I'm doing so much better. That time I only scared 52 Englishmen and <laughs> barely missed five. So, you know, I'm doing pretty good, you know? Yeah. And uh, I know. I think it might be the first date of the tour. You're playing at the music room at the Philharmonic again in Liverpool. So if everything works out, I will pop down and I will see you there. Oh, I'd love to see you. That'd be great. That'd well, be great. That's a that's a, a very nice venue. I'm I'm looking at how long we've been chatting, and time has just flown by. So I will let you get back to your day, and thank you for taking the time out to have this catch up. Kev, it's a pleasure to talk with you, and thank you so much for having me. I wish you all the best and with, with your travels and so on. Just be safe, and I look forward to the next time you and I shake hands. Excellent. You take care, my friend. All right. Take care, Kev. Bye. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there, and there will be more as we record more for the show, and we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come, and of course... If you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.